Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Cedric Ty is our guest this week. Greetings, Cedric. Hello. Are you in Detroit, Cedric? Is that right? Ah, uh, no. I'm actually in Los Angeles, where I've been for like three and a half years. Oh. But I still feel like I just got here, so I'm more than excited to find out more about LA through both of you. So we, we should meet up, actually, and then we can... I was just thinking that, too. Yeah. Our last guest just discovered that she lived basically a, right above Rob's apartment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like three, three blocks away or four blocks away, which in LA terms is like really... Way, yeah. Way to branch out, guys. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, my name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun. Uh, I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles and host... If we get, art openings and events there. I run the Exoskeletal Newsletter, and I'm a user experience designer in Los Angeles. I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, and DIY CAD CAM evangelist based in Chicago. Noted tall person. I'm a he-his kind of guy. I'm Cedric Tai. I'm an artist. I just added this recently as uh, being a critic because oh. I'm not teaching anywhere at the moment, so I'm just a sometimes art educator. And I also uh, use the he, his gender pronoun. Um, I do work between Detroit, Glasgow, and Los Angeles. Awesome. I feel like once once you've done the educator hat, it kind of doesn't come off. And, you know, in a good and a bad way. Like, uh-huh. I remember <laughs> once I started teaching full-time, my wife Audrey would say, like, ah, stop using your lecture voice when we were just talking about, like, whose turn it was to do the dishes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got in some trouble with that for sure. I don't know if I'll ever have a lecture voice because I don't know if I ever have enough conviction about like what I know. I always have like an excitement voice, like I'm the cheerleader type of uh, educator. Oh man, you're probably the teacher that everybody likes. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh dang, you gotta te- you gotta teach me a couple of those things, Rob. I bet you were like that too, weren't you? Uh, certain students I wasn't, but for certain students, I think I was. I find that hard to believe. I don't know. I've I've never met somebody that didn't like you, Rob. My problem is, is people who don't do their work, I lose my patience like immediately. On uh, yes. And like mm-hmm. sometimes though, like a job of an educator is to put that aside for a little bit and try to pull someone along for X amount of time to see if they will. You know, if you can engage mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that I really found. I found just mm-hmm. it was just hard. You know, just to be like this person is not doing anything, and it's just like a piece of cement in a chair like how do i how do i how do i engage them you know because it's something for, care about. for a while i would tell all of my students when they would say oh i'm worried because i taught a lot of computer oriented classes and i'd say look you know I, I have a lot of experience and i can teach and anybody i can teach everybody something yeah but then after a while the thing i started telling students was like in every single class <laughs> there's the fastest person and there's the slowest person, you know, <laughs> there's always got to be one of each. So just try not to be the slowest person, but <laughs> someone, someone's got to be the slowest person. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking something other than like the teaching style is like, I kind of, this is probably not real, but I feel like there's certain personalities that are naturally mm-hmm. really good teachers. And they're almost always like the people who talk to children like adults, like naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And then I think that a lot of the teachers who were really good students end up being the ones who get, like, a little bit more frustrated. Uh, and I think the theory was that they've always had everything just click. So trying to come right. up with all the different ways that someone can't get it 
I'm really good at that part. Like, I cannot get things so many different ways. So I'm really excited <laughs> that I'd be invited to your specific podcast because uh, in some ways I never like doing any work. I only like asking people, like, what they know about something. Um, and then I learn about it. So I did very minimal research on fermentation, and I'm very excited to find out everything about it through both of you. <laughs> I am looking forward to disappointing you, my friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am too. So. <laughs> I, I, went, I went high concept, my brothers. Oh, high concept. Nice. Have you guys ever had a, a, a parasite of any kind? Is it, here's a personal question for you. Like philosophically really, speaking? <laughs> I would love to know what a philosophical tapeworm is. This is I, I feel like we're getting into Frank Herbert territory. I mean, aren't we, aren't we all just leeching off this planet? And, uh, I know, man. Oh. <laughs> I was convinced I had a tapeworm, but I did When was this? Uh, I was like 13 or something. I had gone backpacking, and Jardia... So uh, I had gone backpacking in Tennessee, and there was... And you drink spring water there, but you treat it. But, like, mm-hmm. I remember in one of the springs, I looked down after, like, filling up my water bottles and, like, putting an iodine tablet in there, that it was just, like, teeming with worms. And I was just oh, like, no. oh, my God, what is that? And then that made me, those couldn't have been tapeworms because worms don't live in, a, in spring water. It was some mm-hmm. other crazy worm. But yeah. I was convinced in my head that it was tapeworms. And then I was convinced in my head that I had them. You know, like, it's just your... Your imagination runs away with you. Wait, how, oh, did yeah. we, how did we get here? Like, I, I, I told friends they should listen to this podcast. At the moment, I feel like there should be, like, a warning before this one. <laughs> yeah. I, I listened to a number of parasitology <laughs> podcasts, too, so I can, I can talk about it later. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, Rob, Rob told me to check out his This Week in Parasites podcast, and yeah. I realized that every time <laughs> I tried to turn it on, I was just about to eat lunch. <laughs> it's so good. Mm. Yeah. And um, I had to give it the heave-ho, but my... My mother-in-law in particular could just read about parasites all day, every day, until the end of the earth. Yeah. So I'll have, to, I'll have to get her hooked on that thing. I'm a fan. There's another one, too, the pus cast. <laughs> oh, man. It's more. It's, no like further, an, an, it's an infectious diseases uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop there. It makes me feel kind of unoriginal because that thing exists. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and may I note, turning a corner a little bit, Rob, this is our one-year anniversary. It is. Cedric, thank you yeah. for being on our one-year episode. Thanks for being Planned on, it that CJ. way. Yeah. We've been yeah, waiting all year for this. 26 episodes, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. That was a, that was a long-ass time. It is. It is. Cedric, I, I have, we have not asked you questions about yourself and your work. Mm-hmm. And, and you do it. I do have a couple of questions. And I have one embarrassing statement to make. I had, I had seen that you have a you have a project that is related to driving. Oh yeah, called drive drumming, and mm-hmm. I didn't. I missed in your description that it says I experienced culture shock upon moving from Detroit to Los Angeles, and so I thought you were still in Detroit. Oh. And I was like, and I was like, wow, every driving project I've ever seen is in LA. It's it's really interesting that <laughs> that he did one in Detroit, and now I'm realizing, of course, it was in LA. What are the other the, the driving? pieces that you know of. I totally want to know the this context. Yeah, there's a couple of really good people who do performances like in the back of pickup trucks and stuff on the freeway. Um, oh, yeah, I've heard of, like there's a puppet show that someone's yeah. talking about. And... Yeah. There's an artist who did a very, very, very perfect 
um, street sign modification designed to help people get off the ramp that they really wanted to get off of, and it actually they oh. kept it essentially. Like they because he was trying to improve a confusing yep. but official yep. yeah sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. and so he they the, uh, Caltrans or whoever it is that does the freeway signs mm-hmm. essentially made remade his sign but with their you know their sign and put it up and he won. And they happen so quick, those off-ramps or the whatever. Yes. That's a thing here. Yeah. So I was curious because, so music comes up, or making music comes up a lot in your work, but in a way um, that doesn't seem to necessarily manifest as like, I made an album, you know? Um, And I was just curious about your relationship to music and instruments. uh, And yeah, just like how you sort of see your creativity channeled through um, maybe instruments and music, but not in maybe a traditional way. This might be the most unexpected question I could have not imagined. <laughs> like, I'm looking at my own website to be like, wait, how? Because um, I think I work with musicians in the sense that I consider musicians like experts of this uh-huh. magical art okay. form in which everyone, like, uh, like if you're a musician there's a lot of things that are set, not necessarily, Oh, you have to make an album or, Oh, you have to get like a, a record deal, but more like there's the concept of gigs or even right. the concept of like collaborating with people. Like if yeah. you could have been a, a painter, for example, and just show up somewhere and be like, Hey guys, let's just jam. And then everyone actually like noodled a little bit and it <laughs> yeah. was good. Like that would be surreal, but like, yeah. visual artists, I don't think can really do that. Maybe hackers, maybe you both, might be able uh-huh. to speak to that aspect if there's actually maybe a little bit more ability for people to bring in like their language with their instrument and have it mesh uh-huh. with other people's. But I, I've always just been in, in like admiring musicians because they're almost like this strange blend. Maybe I'm sorry, I generalize a lot, but like somewhere between being a nerd uh-huh. and like a slacker, because if you really get into music, um, I've noticed, you know, you might have someone who collects vinyls. They're, like, always broke because they're constantly buying music and vinyls probably didn't used to be that expensive. Uh-huh. But the the amount of knowledge that people know of, like, who's in what band, like, that's always been crazy to me of how that all works. Or people will listen to, like, the same album and, like, right. have it mean different things over the years. Um, so I feel like being involved with music has, like, a certain level of, respect that I've always just like admired. Uh-huh. Like what do you feel like your relationship to that? To like this the concept of jamming or the concept it's, of like yeah. collab like real time collaboration maybe is a phrase. Well I was just thinking I just want to hang out with cool people uh that are cooler than me. Like uh, most nope. musicians are pretty amazing. Like my, my one friend Andy T who is in Detroit, um and I'm I'm getting him to go to Glasgow, because I, I worked out this project where I'm, I was trying to get people from Glasgow, where I went to get an MFA, to come to Detroit. And like, there's also a lot of tie-ins between the two cities in terms of like music. But um, specifically to Andy T, I've always wanted to drum. And he was like, oh, do you want to be in this art concept, uh, art concept band? Basically, we're going to play Cyndi Lauper songs, because they have the lyrics of Cyndi Lauper songs, but they're actually going to be played in the style of The Clash, and I'm going to sing like I'm the lead singer in The Clash. <laughs> and we kept jamming and enjoying it so much that we actually, I think, maybe did like two albums. And there was a band called The He-Bops. 
And in all honesty, like it's hard for me to listen because I'm so bad at drums, but I'm like really excited to be part of something. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of those things where there was so much more regularity to music than even like my other creative practice of like, oh, I'm going to show up every day and do X, Y, and Z. Uh-huh. Like band practice is happening. That's like another thing. That yeah. People just like make time for. Yeah. And it's scheduled and sort of all that. Yeah. It has a different sort of thing going on. Yeah, cool. yeah. Uh, Cedric, I feel like, um, and you know, to to sum things up into uh, an easy phrase seems dismissive, and I don't mean it that way at all. I just want to hear your thoughts on maybe a theme, because I feel like you're interested in sort of things that are fake or things that are um, like mm-hmm. not fully realized, and perhaps the audience is coming in and completing the realization, like with the Bricks project. But I, I was just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Like, um, do you see where I'm coming from? That you're using a lot of materials that are temporary and so on. T- tell us more. Uh, this is uh, sorry. I'm also trying to like take this in because it's exciting for me to like hear people be like, "This is my cold read." Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. interested stranger. Yep. Um, the interesting thing is, you totally nailed on the head the first thing I ever did in LA. I ended up talking someone's ear off who was a student educator at the hammer whose job it was to engage people coming in and like i was thinking i love art education i'm gonna just talk with you and i talked with her for like two hours and turned out being a a ucla student named uh, waywin balter who happened to sometimes volunteer for this uh, arts commission that also did like poetry slams and activism on their campus and she invited me Mm. to do this exhibition and what i came up with was, oh, like, you guys put on art shows, but you're not allowed to put holes in the wall? Like, I totally get it. It's a historic (laughs) building, but, like, that's hard. Like, I don't even know if you guys know how hard that is to only use tape to install whatever you want. So my project was, during the opening, I showed up with all of these two-by-fours, and uh, I used a lot of my budget to basically just buy them drills and things like that, and we would build (laughs) all of the walls... And right. I knew there'd be other aspects to it. And sure enough, like it happened that night. Um, one of my friends showed up and he was like, man, I just build crates for a living. Like now I show up to your show and I have to work. But all the other students who've never used power tools before, like they were really getting into it. And uh, the crazy thing was I not only like showed up late, but someone started coming in and realizing that something was like not a usual art show. So then they told me like, this all has to go before 9 p.m. And this was oh. around 8 and I was thinking, like, you're, you're kidding, right? Like, I'm the artist that just got invited by a bunch of students who gave me a budget. I've never had a budget given to me, even, like, being represented by, like, a gallery. I've never been given money up front. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, surely they're kidding. And so then the students started learning about bureaucracy, which I thought was way more exciting. <laughs> we actually had to secretly make the walls at night outside yeah. of the gallery because we got kicked out of the gallery. And then in darkness, bring the walls back in and still had it set up so that it was like technically safe. They weren't going to fall on anybody. But by that time, it was like 11 p.m. And that show was supposed to have ended at nine or something. <laughs> and uh, the crazier thing was that I had to deinstall and reinstall those walls four times because each time, like the students were sure that nothing was going to happen. There weren't any scheduling conflicts. And then there'd be something. And it was just kind of enjoyable that it was like that level of constant failure. Um, I also got to know these other friends of mine really well. Uh, and I think you had Dan Bustillo on your show before. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. I think is the reason maybe why I ended up on the podcast. Yep. Or that's there, yep. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, they're half of Best Friends Learning Game, yep. which I'm sure there's a link for it, but I was going to be like, hey, let's put this link up again. Sure. And yeah. I had them do a workshop and their workshop was on DIY pepper spray and lock picking. And at some point, the university actually started sending facilities people to come, like, monitor all of the events. I had, wow. like, one event that was about archives where I was trying to show them what I found at the Center for Political Graphics and in their own school's archives about, like, um, unrest. But the one with the Best Friends Learning Gang, like, it was so much fun that even the person who maybe got sent to watch us was, like, learning how to pick locks <laughs> with everybody. So there was, like... Uh, such a joy that I know is kind of embedded in making something more open. But I mm-hmm. actually always assumed that's what real artwork was, was, well, artwork's not finished unless you're engaging with this other person outside of yourself. Like, otherwise it's just so masturbatory or like it doesn't have any of this uh, important value of like being an actual experiment and seeing what actually happens. Um, so I feel like that's why I do these types of works if they yeah. are maybe ephemeral that might be because i'm also not used to like blowing a ton of money on art supplies like if i did everything in bronze i, I still can't imagine how they would be the same projects like like the brixels project i don't know like uh, i think of uh hackers or coders programmers like musicians like they just have a skill set and i asked this guy dan marchwinski hey can you like make me this thing where if someone goes online and clicks something, they can make like a tessellation where bricks, since they like go every other, you know, maybe it'll work. And then he's yep. like, yeah, just give me a week. This website, I think it's makebrixels.com, like yep. has all of the designs that other people make. But there is also a, a real wall. Like he actually coded the entire website. And then he also made the thing where you like have a bounding box and you click it and a little dot appears and you can move it in a grid. And then when you let go of it, You've got like one shape and then you can go yeah. back and paint it in and it'll actually have a shape that repeats perfectly like a wallpaper. And then what I would do to make it easier is I would actually tell people how to ask other places to like donate um, paint and donate food and then get a bunch of people together. And I would hand out a basically a, a paint by numbers like this brick will be this color. And you need, like, no experience at all. So it was one of the craziest, like, instantly successful, but actually complicated pieces where I didn't do any of the complicated stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I'm still really impressed by it. And I don't, a lot of my projects, I never know how I would ever follow it up in terms of along the same vein. Fellows, we should, we should move on to um, talking about our, um, our products. So, Rob, remind us, what's the... Uh... What's the challenge this week? This challenge is fermentation. Indeed. Given to us by Molly Alice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Excellent. Molly. Thanks, Molly. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Who's going yeah. first? I can't remember. I can't either. So um you can flip a coin. Taylor, you you call you call what side you want. Okay, heads. Heads. It's heads. So you get to pick. Okay. Take a look at my stuff. Alright, cool. The the first slide has what I assume are the shapes that you see when someone's describing some kind of microscopic uh, figure. These, these are all cartoons. I almost submitted 
I, I did smooch some type of cartoons too, but these have like a hexagon head and those funny little like feet that come at the end of what looks like a screw. Like that's how you know something is like the size of Ebola or something. But for some reason, they all have like different uh, reactions. Like maybe you were trying to actually make a character because I always feel like when you want to have an animation, you have to like somehow prove that they have range. So this this has quite a bit of range to it. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, they're very sort of Doctor Seussian, maybe like little creatures, the six legs and Dungeons and Dragons dice heads. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So we'll, we'll jump to number two. Oh, oh. So number two. Yeah, there's this. It says Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the lower left hand corner, and. Uh, it's like a wad of um capsule, like elongated capsule sort of spaghetti shape, but like short, maybe a few inches long if you were looking at them on the screen. And pink, it looks just like pink fuzzy, like Berber carpeting. Um, <laughs> I think they look like purple cheesy poofs. Exactly, like, uh, yes. Yeah, great. But, but if poofs. there were stock photos of those, yes. Like whenever you need stock photos of Different colors of cheesy poops. Yeah, or like, yeah, or that you're selling some kind of sort of drug, and it's like you wanna you wanna like illustrate the efficacy of the thing by like having the squiggly things happen. And the next one is um, oh. that, but as a pattern. Yeah. So I'm looking at a table that's got some very nice looking paper with this stuff printed on it. It might be fabric of some sort. It looks the edges like it could are be frayed. fabric. Yeah, yeah. Um. And so this purple wad of purple cheesy poofs is sort of laid out over and over and over again in like a grid-like fashion. But the the shapes almost look like pants, pant legs. Like if you were to think about a pant leg pattern. This is driving me crazy. I'm just like going so fast through this. I'm like, surely it's pants. Is it pants? It's pants. You're looking at pants. <laughs> Number four does look like pants. Uh Cedric, I think you would. It looks like sounds like you agree. Maybe is this what like a serger stitch does? I think that's how jeans have to get made or something. Because like if they're going to be tough, they have to be like to prevent the uh, fraying. Right? Are you time. on image number five? I I'm am. on Cedric. number five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then uh, number six is an, a, a movie file. Number seven. Oh, oh. Yeah, we've got some elastic waistband. Oh, Taylor, you like, you yeah. rock these pants. These Centers for Disease Control pants. <laughs> All right. Okay, afraid? number eight. Yep. Yes. Oh. Excited about this video. It's a good dog. Wait, tell me about these pants. They're not good. I need new pants. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yay. I'm so excited. I was totally expecting them to be for little people because I was like, whose waist in proportion would that be? And uh, so, so is this your kid? Yeah, that's right. What's her name? That's Charlie, who uh, absolutely hated her pants. Oh, is that why she's crying? <laughs> yeah, I thought they exactly. were tears of joy. Nope. <laughs> she, what did she say, Taylor? She says, um, I, I need, I need them to go down. They're not, They're not good. good. 
I need new pants. Oh, I need new pants. Oh. And yet she does look really good in them, so that must mean that it's one of those things where you just have to suffer for fashion. Like that's just something you learn over time. Um I think I think she intuited that I really wanted her to wear the pants and therefore was uh experiencing the uh as as a three nature is wont to do, rejecting my uh, <laughs> my aesthetic choices, but I, I thought you guys would have kick out of it. I will say also though, Charlie's shirt is like the best. Yeah, it's, it's like a starscape. We've been we've been experimenting with a toddler fashion. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, I think the pants are an excellent compliment to the shirt, Taylor. Regardless of what Charlie thinks, I think you made an excellent pair of pants. <laughs> Let me tell you, man. If you believed everything your toddler said, you'd be pretty sad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think? Do you think she'll come around? Well, the um, they're hemmed with about an additional four inches of length, so I yeah. have I have I can play the long game on this one. Nice. So I have to ask how how you ended up making pants. So the uh, it's pre- it's pretty straightforward. Uh, I was just thinking about fermentation and what's involved, and you know, bacteria of course yeah. is involved. Uh, and the little cartoon character I was drawing is a virus, so I know that's not technically, well, in some ways kind of the opposite of Uh bacteria, but I was just kind of noodling around and trying to think about um, what I associate with the origin of viruses and bacteria, and that's children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! So I was thinking about, you know, uh, toddlers as the uh, as the point of origin of uh, fermentation and other sorts of bacterial infections. They are a vector. And then I figured I'd just make her some pants to kind of aestheticize that thing. So, so I got some images of different kinds of bacteria off the CDC and um, made a little, you know, found a pattern online. And incidentally, which is really funny because all that stuff is really oriented towards women. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's like okay moms here's what's next and yeah you know, I, I, I kind of felt like i was uh like i was someplace i wasn't supposed to be uh-huh. um, so i downloaded a pattern online and i can i can link to that and then we have some great uh sewing and uh, fabrication resources at columbia college so i was um working with the text there uh thanks lexi and putting some pants together so it was an opportunity to learn new skills yeah, and to find a way just to have a really sort of abstract connection to the to the challenge. That's great. I also just realized you're in Chicago. <laughs> yep, indeed. Yes, Rob is a, a fellow West Coaster, but I'm I'm squarely in flyer for territory, bros. Yep. What what um you may have said this, but I missed it. What what virus is it? Uh, that one is tuberculosis. Yeah, <laughs> um, I need to. Uh, wow, I don't know. Is is tuberculosis a virus or is it? Ba- it's bacteria, right? Is it? I don't know. We'll have to find that out. I mean, I think all all viruses have the look of that little cartoon character I drew. <laughs> yeah, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that's um, correct. It's a bacteria. So, uh, so there were a couple ones like um, the CDC had some cool pictures of a. Uh, C. diff, which we were talking about at the top as well. Yep. Uh, I thought you were just, just being... Up, go. Well, What's that? I, I was about to ask, are you being topical? The first three things that popped up were tuberculosis alert affects 600 people in Oakland, Livingston, Washtenaw counties, according to the Detroit Free Press. I'm seeing that as well. I uh, Any topicality is a complete accident on my part. 
Um, I was just looking for stuff that looked interesting and, and I thought would make a good aesthetic pattern. And I mean, also, I find it kind of funny, you know, clearly my toddler is just bringing home colds and stuff, but uh, to give her tuberculosis pants sort of overstates the, uh, <laughs> the risk. Yeah. It's like the scarlet pants. Indeed. So that's me. That's awesome. Uh, Cedric, you have given us a video file. Oh, yeah. Yes. Indeed. Okay, Rob, so you want to do the countdown and we'll we'll play it together? Yeah, let me get to it. And just, uh, it, it'll be most helpful, because uh, I'm, I'm totally just going to record what you both say now, so just say exactly what you see, and then I will use that. Also, I just want to point out, I'm really looking forward to meeting both of you, because there's so many more questions I wanted to ask you both, but I just assumed it's in either old podcasts or not the time. Oh, yeah, but cool. Yeah, but it's fascinating to me. Cedric, why don't you count it off and then we'll yeah. play it. Alright, we'll play on go. Three, mm-hmm. two, one, go. Alright, so we've got a uh, an illustrated interior. It's like a uh, bedroom. There's a bed at the lower left corner, a television, and an empty media stand. So all of those details are meant to sort of drop into the background because of their illustrative nature. And I say that even as it fades into color, and there's a Ouija board and a cat. Okay, Rob, go. Yeah, and the, the cat really looked like my my cat, which is weird. Um, the Ouija board had symbols on it that I couldn't understand. One of them... Door, water. Yeah. A Fuel clock. gauge. Yeah, dial <laughs> gauge of some kind. It's it, funny, like, you think that you have enough time. Yeah. Uh, oh, I see an oh, Eyes Wide Shut DVD with a cat on it. Rob, is that Brother's Pizza that you used to order from? It all is. The time? It is. That's a uh, yeah. It's a Chicago pizza logo. Okay, we're back into the like IKEA looking bedroom. We got the Ouija board. I think it's on number three. Yeah. And there's a there's a guy looking at a uh, a fish tank. Yeah. <laughs> it's some kind of crate, like a blue crate in the window. They're all wow, good. This is. <laughs> this is a trippy video. It's like it's like a video made out of like what feels like like IKEA drawings, or like a SketchUp file yeah. or something. And I think now we're looking at um, oh, what's it called that movie? The Mad Max the Desert. Oh uh, yeah, uh, we're looking at Mad Max Fury Road. Fury Road, yeah, on, yeah. on a little television. It does uh, and it's the scene where everyone's begging for water to come out of the uh, yes uh, the skeleton mouth. Yeah. And now it looks like we're getting into some artificially slowed down portion. Yep. Yeah. With all the little um, pasty witness me guys. Yeah, who sprayed the silver stuff in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Look at this movie slowed down. Yeah. It's such a visually rich movie. Yeah. Okay, so now we're back to the like dirty pearls on the on the begging for water. <laughs> well. They found some great extras for this they movie, did. man. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was. It amazed me that this dude. He just went out and that. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, that is a picture of me from middle school, and that now I'm I'm looking over my shoulder to see if Cedric's actually like creeping up behind me. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, that that blew my mind, dude. <laughs> oh wait, who's, that's that's who another that? picture of me <laughs> playing pool when you were now the cra- the crazy thing about that is that I don't know that that picture exists online anywhere. <laughs> so that is really freaking me out. <laughs> Rob, I'm just waiting for that picture to that show up. That is my um... best pancake, the cat. Oh, so it is your cat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, Cedric, you are you are breaking down barriers that I've never seen broken in this particular podcast. This is so good. <laughs> This is amazing. Because okay, so now I'm asking myself, like, do I actually know Cedric? Wait, that is a picture, I think, of my bedspread under under no. the Ouija board. And it's, like, slowly <laughs> panning to a picture. <laughs> of Rob sleeping. <laughs> I'm waiting for that, but it seems like it's shifting into something else. It looks like maybe uh, desert equipment or something. Oh, like it's a, a water picture. tower. It's a picture of a tower project that I've been working on in Wendover, Utah. Yeah. That is morphs into the the bed I sleep. <laughs> I I can't believe that we mentioned uh, Nardwar, the human serviette, in this thing because this a, is like this is so Nardwar. And now here's this a picture is incredible. of me, someone holding a picture of me. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting into like this. We're back in the blue crate tank thing, and it looks like a lot of strange plant and animal material on the bottom. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna ferment something, Whoa. and also maybe pull a tooth out with a with a pliers. <laughs> and and now we're going totally eraser head. <laughs> <laughs> there's the world's best cat litter box on top of the crate, and, and there's, there, there's Robert Seagraf the... with the little C and C. Yeah, so, very good. Oh yeah, uh, right. Now we're back to the neutral bedroom. Yep. And there appears to be an overlay of um maybe book spines or something, but I can't yeah. make out if it's you or me. Right. Something tells me it's Oh, it's zooming in. It's zooming in. We're about to find out. I'm, Rob, I'm scared. <laughs> is this gonna is this gonna be my bookshelf at home? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Rob, I think that's your bookshelf. I don't recognize. I think this it is one. too, but I can't make it out yet. Uh. <laughs> oh wait these are all spines that have no text on them so maybe it's neither of us yeah that that sounds like a cedric type bookshelf from what little i know of him so far no that's maybe jen's bookshelf because oh, that could be she had bookshelves made out of those concrete blocks mm-hmm. and i see a concrete block in there and now we're populating the windows outside. Rob, is that a picture of you dri- riding a bike when you were <laughs> it, seven? It could be. It looks like it is, but I don't even know what that photo is. <laughs> Rob, is that the inside of your refrigerator or mine? <laughs> that is got to be the inside of my fridge. Yeah, oh, and it's I think it's recent because I put carrots in the fr- a big lot of carrots in the fridge somewhat recently mm-hmm. that picture of me on the bike i have no idea where that came from i feel <laughs> i've never even be- seen that picture but so it na- is now me. i'm starting to wonder like did cedric reach out to our parents i think I yeah because i can't imagine any other way yeah 
This is so cool, man. <laughs> Rob, I, I never knew you were such a normie, dude. <laughs> that was a picture of like my adult head on my kid body. And actually a really good piece of Photoshop. The, yeah. Um, yeah. The blur. Yeah. Okay. Now we just and, and then that was juxtaposed with Cedric himself with yep. a bicycle. Yep. And then and then now those things are fading away out of the um, out of the default room. Uh, now we're getting an aerial view. Ooh, yeah. Like ceiling down. Okay. Now we're whoa. whoa. I'm kind of spinning around a uh, abstracted building or set of buildings. Yeah. Oh, and now we're back so, into Razorhead. Yeah. What do you make of that thing? Uh, there's like, like a, oh, it's a, it's a um, mother from a kombucha. <laughs> and there's and a picture there's... of me and Chris Riley at Home Depot. Yeah. In the, in the like security camera. The thing that's blowing my mind about this is all, these are not images that are just online images. Right. Right. Like these appear to have come from specific. Oh, we're getting some audio. Now we're yeah we haven't had audio until now that I've detected. It sounds like wind, or wind, or like a, a stream or something. There's another Rob, is that the is that the inside of your trailer? That is the inside of the trailer. Yeah, in, at your house, in the backyard. Yep. Yeah. I but wish you had a sound new. like that outside your trailer. It looks to be somewhat old. Not old, old, but older. Whoa, dude! I don't know who that is. I know what that is. That's the um, that's the VHS instructions for how to use the KH nine thirty knitting machine. Whoa! There's a picture of the laundry, my laundry line. Yeah. Oh, there's and there's me at the. Yep. <laughs> it just says the wake text, up. The wake text up, wake up. up. So it, I feel like. I feel like Cedric must have gotten in touch with Chris Riley, who's a fellow Detroiter. Is that a picture from the fucking Leather Museum? It looks like it. <laughs> the Irving so, years. The only way I can imagine this took place, at the very least, is that he made contact with Chris Riley and got some photographs. Oh, and, that, so and there's I, a picture of me from the podcast releasing balloons mm-hmm. into the air. Indeed. One of the earlier episodes. Keeps says keeps flashing wake up, wake up. And then now we're just getting black background. Rob, what do you think we're supposed to wake up from? Fortunately we have Cedric on the line <laughs> to talk to about this. Oh, you you can't get out that easy, man. You gotta at least make a guess before we before we uh, ask for tips. I mean the experience was very dreamlike, so I'm curious. Sure. If that was oh a way well, to well, close so, out the video, so childhood was invoked. Yeah, right. We saw both you and me. We had childhood pictures. Yeah, and then um, there were some podcast references because one of those pictures was you. Yep, releasing balloons from an actual podcast episode. Yep. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out like. Um, I'm I'm having trouble. Uh, like, what am I trying to get at here? So then, also there was this sort of dreamlike environment where we had the um, furniture and so forth that just yeah. looked like really essential SketchUp drawings. And like a bedroom. And our photos were. Yep. Right. Yep. 
Oh, and there's a Ouija board. Yeah. With different symbols on it. But he he would so I feel like the the most important parts in some ways are going to be where he was showing up. It was like the stuff that he put over the top of the historical experiences you and I had. And so you have that if you go to um 732 there's that cooler with the blue foam. Yes. And then there's a um a plant growing with maybe some you know, kind of powdered material like a uh, plant food, and there's a two by four with a hunk of Jello on it. Or <laughs> yeah, whatever. that looks like the kombucha mother, or something yes, like that. Exactly, exactly. And then he's pulling out his tooth, uh, which vaguely relates maybe to the transition from childhood to adulthood. And also at one o three, there's yeah. like a a table shot. Yeah. With Lots so of that like pizza was not an was not an accident. Chemistry, right, right, with like chemistry supplies and like the kombucha yep. shop, like a kombucha container, but like mm-hmm. also a tuning fork and an envelope with money. Wow, this is this is dense, dude. Yeah, this, I just well. made some pants. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Cedric, do you? Are we about to start flailing, or do you want us to address anything else specifically before you talk about it? Uh, I'm totally confused what you guys are talking about. I made a Ouija board with, like, symbols on it. Like, I had this idea that designers make things, <laughs> like, invisible, and, like, there's this occult around Ouija boards where you're making the invisible visible, so I, I just yeah. thought that'd be an interesting thing to put fermentation as, like, one of those activities. Like, if you were yeah. with a bunch of other people, and, like, it's kind of fun because with the Ouija board, the whole concept is you don't know who's moving it, and yet it's actually technically a kind of democratic decision of where you stop. So, like, you yeah. could use this for collaborations in an interesting way. So, like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I actually found a lot of different symbols that I don't mind, like, stealing and then changing them slightly. Um, and I meant for them to also be maybe vaguely abstract, so then people maybe have to talk with each other about what they decode it as. Um, so yeah, like, but, but but you have no comment on the presence of <laughs> photographs that we <laughs> just to just to clarify, or, or are you are you positing that those photographs are just in Robin? My are they just in our minds, or are you are are you just uninterested in talking about that aspect? Uh, wait, like, what? Well, like, I found existing logos and stuff. Sure. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Like, the one where you guys are like, is it a gauge? I was like, can you make a clock where you, like, can't tell if it's clock, or maybe, like, I might get one of you to say you don't know what time it is? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, man. I think one of them is yeah. also like a geodesic dome. Indeed. Uh, and a weird graph glue where it like, goes really high up. And yeah, like a glue bottle. I found some logos that were about drugs for some reason, and they had these really cool crystals, which now I don't even know what drugs those would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like a yeah. leaf, but not like a pot leaf. It's like a leaf from like a... Like a it's like a very nature-looking leaf. The Legend of Zelda. This is, yeah, on the Ouija board. There's, like, different symbols. There's, like, a f- camera on a tripod. 
There is a kombucha looking logo. Yeah, I, I'm really proud of that looking, one. Yeah, that's that's a really. It says to me kombucha. It's like a jar with some floaty bits in it, which is nice as a as an icon. With like an empty part where the mother would be, because there's yes. always the really thick, like what the hell is this? Is it placenta yep. kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a. Uh, this is squarely. Um, this is like. The funnest gaslighting I've ever experienced. <laughs> I just want to hold on to that moment as long as possible because that's that seems way yeah. more fun. Um, but I mean, I still can answer any questions really if you guys had any. Uh, I don't know. I I kind of feel like Rob. I don't want to know. <laughs> like I I feel like we're about to ask the magician to reveal the trick, and that's yeah. just pretty. That's pretty uncool. Yeah, and so I like think a, we should just put this video online and see what people I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and, and I will say, I I do need your guys' audio because that is actually my piece. So I was uh-huh. trying to be sure. quiet, even though there's no point in me being quiet. And then I'll remix it so that yeah. um, what I'll have is maybe the the what I would think is the most useless podcast, which is listening mm-hmm. to people just say their dreams. So I'm going to remix what you both say, and that'll actually be my piece. Wow. All right. Rob, I kind of, I kind of feel like we should just fold up the site and give it to Cedric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I can't understand. I don't see how we could, we could top that. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what you guys mean by, like, top it. Like, I, I actually was so inspired by even being invited. Like, I, I don't mean it lightly when I say, like, I was super excited to be considered for some random people to like invite me on who don't know me. And like the Uh whole concept is like totally up my alley because, uh, happy one year anniversary to, um, inviting creative people who might share the same struggle. If it's like trying to get yourself to work. Cause that was like Uh the vibe I got from the show was, was really generous in that way. But it was also like, uh, a place where I think a certain level of nerdiness meets like vulnerability which I don't mm-hmm. think is actually that common. Yes. Sure. You're very, I totally agree. Yeah. And Nail on the head, man. Wow. And so, yeah, I actually wanted to make a piece for you guys, but also actually make a good piece. Um, and I came up with the idea like way longer before the prompt because uh, this, this I don't think is going to give away the magic. I've really told myself, what could I do so that what, what you do in your podcast or I'll put it this way. In my art, I try to think of, like, what's the opportunity I'm getting? And for some reason, I thought, well, I'm just going to have these two dudes talking. So I'm going to get that. Like, I get yeah. to use that for whatever. So if I can, like, guide them towards saying something, maybe that'll be my piece is, like, what they say. Wow. But then how do you make someone say something? Because, like, I didn't know how gradual to make it. I just knew that yeah. in the podcast, you guys talk about like successes and failures. So I was going to be like, oh my God, let me tell you about all these different things that were really weird to try to figure out. Like, uh-huh. it's, it's almost like a, uh, it's more like an exercise in uh, like English literature to figure out the language of someone describing a dream and then to like invoke someone else to say it and to like kick it off where you start off saying it. And if you didn't know what this podcast was about, like, how would I conjure that up? So I, I still don't know if it was super successful, but I did like rack my brain for a while reading people's like the the recommended books on dreams. My friend Joey Conazero from Best Friends Learning Game uh, uh-huh. suggesting the Unconsoled by Kazuo 
Ishiguro. Huh. Um, my partner Rachel's like doing a ton of research into dreams right now. And it's really hard to get someone to actually like uh, unconsciously, uh, I guess that's kind of besides the point, but like to just say things that sound like they could be to something else. So I'm really excited that it worked, but I also am like, dang, I forgot if we both laugh a lot. Like, I can't do a whole lot with laughing. Like, but I don't know how you would do it any other way. Like, you'd be a robot if you're like, yep, that's me as a kid. Moving on. There's yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm in this. And it's just this, because that's how it is. And that's what dreams are like. Right. It's like, oh, I'm expected to be somewhere. And I don't know how you, like, make someone feel like they're expected. The only thing I think I was able to pull off maybe was, like, the feeling of suspense. Like, when, when Taylor's like, I'm really freaked out. That's the feeling yeah. I got while making it. I was like... I don't know how you can do anything other than like freak people out. Like, how do you invite yourself <laughs> into a realm like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, well, I, I also think it's so funny that your, your lead in was, it kind of reminded me of a, a pool hustler or something where you're uh-huh. saying, you know, Oh, like, I don't know, man. And <laughs> I, I, ju- I just like being around other people that know things. <laughs> and, then, and then just to <laughs> drop this package that was just like, so blew my mind. That was a really <laughs> funny. I thought you guys were on yeah. me when you said Nardwar. I was like, shit, like someone gave it up. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that that's was amazing. great. Wow. Fantastic. And then that's, that's I also work. was like, I don't want to say anything. Cause like, I'm really shitty with surprises. So I get really yeah. anxious during like my birthday or anyone else's birthday where I like feel expected to do something uh, mm-hmm. that would be a surprise because I don't feel like I can hold it in. Um, so this was like pretty difficult for me to figure out. Like I know the opportunity is also that I don't really know either of you. Sure. Um, right. So it seemed more exciting to like fake that. Um, but yeah. but I don't. So I total think that success, man. I feel like you both read even slightly more into than what I even know. Because uh, <laughs> the more you would say about, oh, this is this, I would just be learning where that photo came from because I have no right. context for any of it. Right. Um, Amazing. <laughs> wow. As as much as I hate to, we should move on, Rob. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was I will a, say, that I don't know amazing. whose bookshelf it is, but all I did was take out all of the... Uh, the text, except for one word. I didn't know if you guys yes. caught that. Oh, yeah, for sure. The remember. That's great. Well, great, great Photoshop job. Yeah. That's that's flawless. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Oh, man. I have to go after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, <laughs> uh, so funny. I actually don't know what to do with myself now that you both have seen it. Like, I've been thinking about yeah. these for so long. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. I kind of feel like an obsessed person who's just like, and here's everything I've collected of your hair. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so um, I have a two two parter. I'm gonna upload mm-hmm. my zip file right right now. Okay, got it. So we're going to play the MP3. Somebody want to count sure. us down there? Yeah, I'll count us down. So this is Adam Rothstein. He runs Transistor Ginger, the Transistor Ginger Beer Company in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm gonna, we're going to play a few minutes of the interview, and then at the end of the episode, uh, listeners, you can listen to the rest of the interview uh, with Adam. 
the next opposable thumbs challenge is fermentation. And I was, it popped in my head like, oh my gosh, I know someone who is, is deeply engaged in fermentation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I have a, just a few very basic questions from you and just also just want to hear how, how transistor is going. Sure. I'm not an expert at fermentation by any means. I mean, I do, I do a fair bit of it, but, um, you know, I kind of have this very amateur knowledge of it. I'm I certainly don't have like the the biology like super down. So hopefully, I can answer your questions correctly. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. That yeah, certainly there. Most of the questions are sort of tied to your own experiences with it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, uh, as I understand it, you have a ginger beer company, for lack of a better term, I guess. Yeah. Um, concern <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And and I checked out the website, and it looks like you have a number of places local uh, in Portland that you uh, that sell your ginger beer, and uh, it's called Transistor. And so I was curious about sort of how you got um, to how your interest sort of uh, uh, happened there, and then and then sort of how you decided like, hey, you know, I could actually this might be fun to do in a sort of larger capacity than maybe just making ginger beer for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it's one of many fermentation projects I've done. I, I, um, I, I actually, I don't do that many anymore because now I'm so focused on the ginger beer, but, yeah. uh, I think it was like last, last summer there, or no, the summer before last. So almost, almost two years ago now I was, we were making fruit wine and oh. pickles and, sauerkraut and you know kind of kind of all the things you think about in terms of fermentation um i, I had uh, a number of cookbooks on fermentation i was just trying all these different recipes and i tried the ginger beer recipe and that one um although the other ones you know they had their kind of pleasing moments especially on the level of a hobby uh -huh. um like the fruit wine is, is, you know, sometimes it's good. Other times it's not so great. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but, but with the ginger beer, all my friends who tried it were like, this is really good. You should sell this. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that it's like an actually fermented ginger beer that has the culture still live in it. Okay. Uh, unlike a lot of the stuff you get at the store, which is just kind of, natural flavorings or it's been pasteurized so that it's shelf stable and they can store it in warehouses and, right, right. and what have you. So anyway, it tasted like, like different and better. And I started like running the numbers on it and like looking and, and doing experiments and seeing if this was the sort of thing that could scale up and I could actually start providing this to people around the Portland area to say, you know, to, to give them this, this different sort of ginger beer that was different than the, the stuff they're getting currently off the shelf. And it seemed like it would work. So I decided oh, to go for it. That's so cool. Yeah. I didn't know ginger beer was a fermented product. I think a lot of people, including myself, don't think of it as one. And I was curious about sort of the process and just how that worked. Um, as opposed to like a regular soft drink, you know, the lingo is is confusing and there's not like a, a real good standardization as far as far as I understand it, like a ginger ale is a ginger flavored soda. OK, that is often, you know, it, it's got, uh, you know, it may be natural flavorings. It could be artificial flavorings, but it's basically like carbonated water with sugar and then some flavorings added to it. OK, Um 
ginger beers, as I understand them, tend to be more brewed. So there's actually been some sort oh. of brewing in the process. There's the be- there's beer there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I I guess these these nomenclatures aren't exactly you know. Uh, then they're not exactly standard. So people call it different things depending on where it's from. Like I know Jamaican ginger beer is made a little bit differently. And then apparently someone was telling me in, in Montreal, there's, there's kind of like its own sort of ginger beer that's local to Montreal because there's a big diaspora community from Uh Jamaica and Uh they've sort of like, it's acquired its own kind of uh, flavors and textures in Montreal or so. So I was told anyway, I haven't really tried it myself, um, but but then additionally, de- depending on how you brew it, um, I think the flavors come out really differently. So obviously, there's like a lot of different kinds of fermentation that you can do. I know some people will pitch yeast, like they'll use wine yeast, like something similar to a champagne yeast, okay. and they'll use that to ferment the ginger beer. There are also um, these things called uh, I think they call it. The, gi- the ginger root, but it's not actually, it's not like the ginger root that you, um, you would buy at the store, like uh-huh. from the ginger plant. It's just what they call these like crystals that are kind of almost like, um, like, uh, oh, what's the, the name of the product that's escaping me? Oh, kefir. So like oh, the kefir, okay. yeah, kind of like the kefir bits that, that grow in the bottom of, um, your kefir. And then you use that to start the next batch. Um, and then I, I you know, of course, there's like scobies, which are on kombucha, and that's a, a different form of fermentation too. The thing that I use is I use a, a wild yeast starter that then I, I cultivate separately. So that's kind of similar to the sourdough process, I guess. Okay. Okay. I I was curious about your your process or um, th- like how you got to sort of the. The, the process that you like, like if you had to tune it up or if there was like things you yeah. to adjust and, and sort of how you got to like, oh yeah, this is my, this is my jam. Cause I, I assume there's, when I think of brewing beer, I think of people sort of finding um, different processes that they like and based on the ingredients they use, they kind of use that to get to the, to the end result they want. Yeah, it was really interesting. I had to do a lot of experimentation, actually, because um, so for beer, for for like microbrewing beer um, in small batches, there's tons of websites out there that that give you all kinds of instruction and people compare notes and forums and stuff like that. But the the beer brewing process is really very different than the ginger beer Okay. Uh, process that I was working with. So there, there's really not a whole lot out there in terms of information. So I was kind of flying blind and had to uh-huh. experiment a little bit, um, which was fun and exciting. Um, and I had to kind of develop my own ways of, of trying to figure out what was actually going on <laughs> inside yeah. the ginger beer. It's like, you know, all the, you, you can taste it and that gives you a certain amount of information, but you can't actually see what the yeast are doing and have a sense of that. So it's, you know, something I always think about, I think it's incredible that, like, there's such a tradition of fermentation that has been around for thousands and thousands of years before anybody knew what yeast were. So there was just Whoa. kind of these, these like, things that, you know, and I guess I guess the, the Greek word for yeast, I, I'm, I'm not going to try and say what it is, but it's because I, I would get it wrong. I don't uh-huh. remember what the, what the, um, 
etymology actually is, but it's something like the small magic bits or something like that. You know, it's like there's some sense that there were these little things that you couldn't quite see that were doing the work of making the the alcohol or whatever it was that you yeah. were you were producing, but it was kind of like mysterious because you can't actually see it. See it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway, um, I mean, I, I, I tried to see it actually. I try, I have a microscope, a pretty good microscope actually. And I, I research how people do yeast counts, which is a thing, oh. um, that a lot of beer brewers do, especially brewers who cultivate their own yeast. You can, uh, take a sample and then you actually, put the sample over a microscopic grid and then you go to the grid and count the little yeast cells um, that you see and then kind of figure out a concentration based on that. But for some reason that wasn't working for me. Um, oh. I don't, I still, I still don't know why I'll have to like maybe consult sometime with uh, a person who does that and be and and have them walk through it with me and figure out why it wasn't working for me. But um, so I don't really know what my yeast concentration is in my in my starter. So the thing that I've had to do in order to be able to control my fermentation um, is I've had to basically develop a really strict feeding regimen. Mm. Um, so I, I basically try and judge their growth by time and the amount of food that they have, because the yeast will kind of continue to multiply until they run out of food. Um, and so through that, I try and keep it in a, in a kind of normal growth pattern, um, every week when I do a batch, when I'm, you know, preparing the starter and feeding it throughout the week, but that's not foolproof either because, um, yeast reproduce and, 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 and move and, and consume at a different rate, depending on how warm it is. Mm -hmm. So I've had to also be judging the temperature, um, as I, as I do this and, you know, I've tried to find other metrics to go by as I go through, like I can, I can kind of judge the, the sugar concentration. That's something you can measure. I can uh, measure the pH that's going on inside, um, you know, either the ginger beer or the starter. So by using all these kind of secondary indicators, I'm kind of guessing at what I think is happening. And sometimes it works well. Other times it, it doesn't work as well as I hope. That's really neat. That's cool. Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's Adam Rossini runs the Transistor Ginger Beer Company in Portland. Uh, if you live in the Portland area, if you go to the end of the episode, uh, he actually lists some of the places that you can get it on tap and also in bottles. And I asked Adam in the interview about his process uh, and about um, what he enjoys about it and also uh, just kind of how it works to shift from making something for yourself and into sort of a larger scale operation. So if you want to hear any of that stuff, it'll be, the interview will be at the end of the podcast. I wonder cool. if there's like a, a ground zero for fermentation. Cause I went to an amazing tea shop when I was in Portland that had like a fermented tea that I never even knew. Like you could get not a tea bag or whatever cube it was. Uh huh. He talks actually about that a little bit and that he thought that Portland, um, because there was so many places who were tuned into being able to like retail locations who can actually present a fermented concept nicely, you know, that like if you were to sell a, a fermented ginger beer and like, we're going to go into a mainstream grocery store, they just wouldn't even know how to sell it. You know, like they'd be like, well, do we put it by the cat food? You know, like they just wouldn't <laughs> know what to do. And he, he thought it was really nice. One thing about Portland was that there was enough people who could, 
who kind of knew what it was and were into it and could present it in a way that that made made various places interested in selling it. That that was totally makes sense. Yeah. I heard from him. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, yeah. So so Adam was the first thing that came to mind as soon as um, um, Molly said fermentation. I was like, oh, I got to talk to Adam because I haven't talked to him in about a year. And it would be, just be cool to catch up with him. And I, I had seen, like, on social media, his ginger beer company. So I thought I'd ask. And I was also nervous about the plans I had. And I'll let you guys look at the pictures uh, to unpack that further. Yeah, Cedric, would you like to take the first image there? Sure. Um, this looks almost like a home version of maybe, like, a... I don't know if it's a... CNC style cutting drilling dealio or if it's more of like an actual laser etching but there's definitely that mechanism that can go back and forth and so there's like a mm -hmm. circle within a circle within another circle uh, on a grid. I think it's a fair guess that's a 3D printer because of the uh, telltale um, raster lines back and ah. forth in that gray concentric circle. Mm-hmm. And then we've got a MOV. Mm -hmm. Taylor, I'm particularly interested in your opinions about what you're seeing in the print. Uh, let me see here. So uh, what we see is um, the the lower the the initial shell has been laid down, and then we're starting to see some infill. Uh, the infill is um, has a surprisingly uh, sort of spotty nature. Uh -huh. Okay. So in one of in one or two of the axes, you're getting that sort of regular X pattern. Um, infill being the uh, the way that you print the interior of a 3D print without just completely filling it 100% with plastic. Um, so I'm not quite sure what's being manufactured yet, but it, the the infill is the thing that jumps out at me right there. Yeah, and it looks weird, right? It does look weird. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, oh, oh, so maybe this is, I think I have read about this, that you can ask the infill to occur in certain patterns if that's something that's interesting to you. So maybe we'll see that come back up as we go. Yep. And the next image is uh, two really interesting different textures because one is uh, is there like a string between both of them? Um, but uh, one is more regular, so easy going diagonal lines, all um, the same size. And the other yep. one, mm -hmm. you could technically maybe say they're all the same size, except that it's almost like clay getting muddied. Um, mm -hmm. Or like when you score clay, that's the kind of look that I think it has. And they both mm -hmm. seem like Maybe fairly thin, but one's the size of like a harmonica, whereas I would say the other one's the size of like a, a type of cracker. Yep. That's how I'm going to go with <laughs> sizes. It's, good. it's also yeah. reminding me of, I have seen at least one fairly common experiment with 3D printing incorrectly on purpose, where you print <laughs> a lion. Um, <laughs> you print a lion, and then you print the mane effectively sticking out into space in an unsupported fashion. So the 3D printer will print these long loops of plastic that are not supported. So then as they cool, they'll droop down and effectively oh, cool. make hair, you know, for the, uh, right. for the lion. So based on how Rob is laughing, I'm assuming we're going to find out that um, 
these were not necessarily <laughs> intentional <laughs> or, yeah. mistakes. Or you <laughs> telling Rob in like such a uh, not kind way, you're like, yeah, it looks like he's trying to attempt to make bad art. You can tell through <laughs> the failure of this. To... Yeah, D- Dieter, this one's for you. Here's the here's yep. the critical. Yeah, coming back. All right, so image number four, Cedric. What are you What are you noting there? This is. Uh, I'm thinking it might be a different 3D printed item, or maybe the back of the 3D printed mm-hmm. item, because I don't see the same texture. Also, slightly mm-hmm. larger harmonica proportions, but not the same size as a harmonica. But I'm really bad at this depth perception thing, figuring out what size things are on this this bed for lasering. Well, we're also kind of maxing the bed out, so now there's been a um, an outline. Kind of looks like a castle wall oh. or something that... Um, that uh, is, we're preparing to produce. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what that is looking towards. <laughs> well, there's like I a the next image will solve a lot. There's of like a donut in that puzzles. first one too, and now there's like a like a thing within a thing. Yeah. As well. So th- these appear to be the. Um, uh, I'm wondering if this these are all Rob's tests as he's trying to lock in his um, 3D printer settings, and then we're sort of getting evidence of the. Uh, of the um, fallen soldiers along the way. I'm going to give him onto something. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and this is another form of I Ching. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Rob, how do we do? So, I spent many evenings trying to strong arm my 3D printer into shape, into actually making a thing. And after maybe three or four nights, what you see in image number four and in image number three is me finally getting my calibration right at like midnight last Mm -hmm. night. (laughs) Did you also drop the hot end straight into the bed in image number four? (laughs) (laughs) There's two places actually, Taylor, you can see where the hot end has been driven straight into the bed. Nice. Oh, that's how those one, things are one, not drove straight to the bed and then drove forward. <laughs> yep, yeah, it did. And then the other one, you can see there's just what looks like someone just took a cigarette and just like put it out in the, <laughs> the 3D printer. But it was not a cigarette, yep. it was Is the this hot really end expensive. No. Well, <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, the upside of this 3D printer is, is most of parts are fairly easily replaced and stuff, but um, I have done a few 3D prints before and then I moved my 3D printer. And I don't know what happened. I think what it is, is it's the perfect storm of, of of, of the newbie tribulation, which is some things were wrong, but I didn't know enough to know what they were. And so then you have all this speculation about what you think is going wrong. Like, is it my, is it my STL file, which is like the sort of file that your 3d object is before it turns into a G code file, which is the file that the printer reads. And so I tried fixing that for like a night and then that didn't make, seem to make any difference. And then I also made a new mistake of being like, I'm going to tr- try to print over and over and over a large thing which is not what you want to do because it's just too much. It's like you want to print the simplest thing possible to find out if your printer is working right, because 
uh, it's quick and it's easy to tell right away what's wrong. And so I did shift into doing that, which is why you're seeing those sort of um, cracker and harmonica <laughs> shaped. As Mary Tyler Moore said, oh, Rob. Yeah, chunks. <laughs> I must say also this is what I really like about this podcast is in in the realness of two weeks – this is one of the things I was like, but what if you don't make anything in two weeks? Like that yep. seems ex- uh-huh. very plausible, but I've never seen it in my own art practice because I do too many all nighters, which are like the one of the most unhealthy things I do. And uh, I'm actually yeah, so sure. relieved to see like just the tests. Um, yeah. Like, I was just yeah. trying to print out like a passport image from my own printer and save some money. And I remember spending like three hours and being late for work. And I remember yep. this exact <laughs> feeling of like, nothing i do is it the paper is it this thing that i have to shake and and then it's like but it's supposed to be a thing that does a thing like it's not supposed yeah. to be something mm-hmm. you spend time learning why it breaks like it's supposed to be the fun part is is breaking it not <laughs> being able to totally, not totally. the control of the thing breaking you the, the irony too is my lifeline for all of this would always be taylor <laughs> but i couldn't <laughs> tell him what i was doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so did you figure it out? Well, t- uh, tomorrow I'm going to try to print the thing I wanted to print, and I'll say what it is. It's what I, and this is also hilarious. So, what I wanted to print was a, a cap for a mason jar um, that you can oh. pour like a little reservoir of water in the cap, mm-hmm. and that will let the the CO two the the it has a sort of hole, and then the hole is covered with water, and that lets the CO two bubbles of a fermenting fruit or veggie the gas out but it doesn't let oxygen in which would you know sort nice. of turn the fermentation um and my original goal of all this was oh i found one on like thingiverse that i thought was cool but i've always wanted to learn fusion 360 more so what i was going to do is i was like i'm going to print the thing i'm going to do the one from thingiverse and like I'll have that one and then I'll learn from that one and I'll try to model the <laughs> my own version in Fusion 360. These, these are my big Simple. dreams. Simple. Yes. Simple. And as far as I got was my 3D printer's broken. <laughs> 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 so I'm going to, I think I have my 3D printer fixed. I'm going to try to print the thing a verse version of the, of the Mason jar fermentation cap. And mm-hmm. I did all of this because I was like, you could buy four caps online for like four, 30 bucks. But I was like, 30 bucks is a lot of money if I don't really know if I want to do this. And I really only need one, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'll just print one. <laughs> Famous last words. So. That is the dream. Oh, so the round thing you can see is the original attempt at the cap and things started to go super squirrely. And so I shut it right. down and started going to the test prints. Mm-hmm. So. Wait, also, how mm-hmm. does that actually work? Where ox- Is oxygen so big that it is somehow unable to go into the bottle and i thought that like you wanted things to be airtight ish after you get it you to want... a point you want it must be yeah, like a want... toilet tank right exactly it's kind of right. pushing around a bend yeah yep 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 so it pushes the the co2 pushes out exactly like if you ever saw like a bubble come up in a toilet oh tank. it's pressure yeah and then but the oxygen because the water is blocking the hole it can't the oxygen can't it's like a one-way valve Someday I'll have a 3D printer that I can operate. <laughs> well, now you can ask me about it, so we're all set. I can, I can, yeah. yeah. It's time, Cedric, for you to lay it on us. Please oh, do. the next challenge? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can I say what all the ideas were that I had? There's only three, and I'll pick yes, one. Yes, naturally. Sure. Please yeah. do. Uh, I was listening on, I want to say it was either NPR, KCRW, this thing about someone making a score to climate change. And I oh, feel like I've uh-huh. heard someone talk about doing that before, but what I liked was, like, as as an educator, mm. like, I've always get interested in, like, many different ways that something could get expressed and understood. Um, and climate change is one of those things that's just, like, so big, long-term, it's hard for any uh, people to really imagine and take seriously, which includes me. Um, but I just was tickled by this idea of, like, well, what about visualizing neoliberalism? Like, I actually have conversations where I'm trying to convince <laughs> someone that it exists, but I never really have, like, a way to be like, oh, well, it's fine if you don't think it exists, but like this is the data and this is what that data is like experienced yeah. through sound or something. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Another idea I had, which was much more simple and I thought would be right up your guys' alley, would be like a battle between design versus art, which oh, is uh, uh, a conversation uh-huh. I get in with a lot of friends, uh, including like my brother-in-law, Ben. But I have this like feeling that like, Design includes everything from like why I work eight hours, like with someone's design. So then I like somehow have this bone to pick with designers where I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. It's going to have massive change like Bruce Mowat, but he doesn't even know how it shouldn't be in an art context. And it's funny. I just like have hangups for some reason about being interested in like where they are technically in the same communication realm. But I always felt like, uh, there was, maybe meant to be some kind of uh, contrast between the two. Right. Um, and the last one, if I had to choose one word, was nude. N-U-D. <laughs> I'm totally open to like finding out of those three concepts, which ones both of you would be interested in. I particularly like nude because, Rob, I feel like you are not comfortable with nudity. Am I, am I correct about that? Um, uh, all right, perfect. That's it. Nudity or nude. Either one. It's, that's it. Huh. Rob, okay. Rob you, don't, you don't strike me as a naked kind of guy. I mean, I just admitted, like, total failure. <laughs> but but I, I'm, t- I'm talking about... And of, co- of course, we're going to interpret this, but I've, Conan O'Brien always has this joke about showering in a three-piece suit, and I, I don't know why, but I I feel like you'd be in a similar in a similar place to that. Well, Am I wrong? Never nude. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, no I, I do not wear clothing wash. <laughs> we're getting deep here. We're getting yeah. deep. Yeah. All right, nudity it is. No, I'm good. That's good. I'm so excited. Do you, do you guys know what the difference between uh, nude and naked is? No. Wait, N-E-K-K-I-D or actually naked? Yeah, like N-E-K-K-I-D. So nude means you have no clothes on, but naked means you have no clothes on and you're up to something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, I also Taylor, your, this, Saint, uh... your St. Louis is showing. <laughs> oh, that's like the old, that's an old joke, man. I yeah, had good. this uh, project where I made a suggestion box that I had friends put up all over, and they would have suggestions from other people that, like, you wouldn't personally want to make, but you wouldn't mind if someone took your idea and then did it. And mm-hmm. uh, they were, like, always taken down right away. And so, like, part of the fun was, like, knowing that no one's ever going to read them, even if people submitted them. And I got an amazing suggestion from, um, God, I don't even remember her name, A.L. Steiner. 
And she oh. was saying her idea that she'd love to see someone else do is every museum that has nude or paintings of nude people, there has mm-hmm. to be like one day of the month where everyone who comes in that's nude or will be naked to look at the art gets in for free. And it's just like all the security guards are naked, all the staff who might be there are naked. But like, <laughs> wow. it's like a prerequisite for allowing like the showing of nude. And then like you'd yeah. actually have a context for like, new people in artwork as opposed to just you know, hey man I'm artists. sold yeah let's do it <laughs> <laughs> nudity oh, awesome man. fantastic alright so um, Cedric I think you had some items that you wanted to share with people so one of them that I really enjoy is workshops by the best friends learning gang where Dan Bastillo was on your podcast yep. and it's done with Joey Canizero yep. I think they just recently went up to Utah oh, cool. and uh, they did some kind of project. Um, but now I'm totally forgetting what it was. Um, but everything that they do, I like because the concept is as amateurs, they bring in everybody yep. who also could be amateurs, but the, it's you definitely know that they don't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah. So I've always liked yeah. that fact that they... They will unabashedly say, we're going to learn this together. And when I, I did teach, I had so much fun. I was teaching at the College for Creative Studies in uh, this thing called Concepts of an Images, which meant I could make up the whole course. And I would just invite other artists who had real skills, and then I would learn stuff vis-a-vis the artists I invited to actually teach something. And then we'd always go on field trips where I'd also pick up on lots of stuff. Oh. So I was, like, really excited. Like, I think I, the only reason I was ever, like, the fun teacher it was because I was actually so enthusiastic about learning with people yeah, because yeah. I wouldn't have learned any other way. Yeah. So like they really even, embody that. even in this thing. Yeah. Even your podcast was like, wow, there's like some serendipity of like how, uh, your ability to bring people in, I'm sure is like, what's going to keep you guys excited about the things that you do because you're bringing in other people and that changes everything about like how something could be a doldrum or, or a grind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and it certainly makes the like, yeah, the, the boring parts are worth it, right? Like, oh, I get to... editing sucks, but it's really fun to have meet new people and see what they do. Yeah, and then I was kind of interested in uh, being a little bit more like I don't know what the word is, but like talking about all the therapeutic things I had to go through because the culture shock of being in LA meant that like my art practice seemed like it ground down to like a tenth of what it used to be. Mm. I didn't like do the same kind of meeting of people. Uh, and so I had to like kind of work myself back up to feeling like I can be a creative person again. And one of the things that I picked up was Patricia Wells, my master recipes. Um, because I heard her talk about how in her book, she's got these certain recipes that are fun to make and do over and over and over. And she actually laid out the cookbook by like, the style of cooking something, uh, like if it's baking versus poaching, oh, and cool. that's how it's laid out. Uh-huh. But I liked that realistic aspect where she was saying, like, for me, I've never felt like my work can sometimes go past a certain level. And then I realized, even in cooking, like, I've, I've just been like, oh, other people can cook well. Like, I just don't know how this French stuff works. Right. But she was kind of describing it as, like, if you actually practice the fundamentals and have an enjoyable fundamental to practice, then through doing repetition of that thing, you actually gain the ability to have confidence, which then creates much more 
you know, trying to test out different things. That's cool. And so I realized that's more important in my practice is I need to get into that like feeling of doing yep. uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. And then I will realize, oh, like I didn't realize I know SketchUp that well to do this thing in like six hours. Totally. Um, yeah. That I made for you guys. <laughs> and that's called My Master Recipes by Patricia Wells. You know, right? yeah, yeah, and the the link's in the Great. the thingy. Um I was also gonna mention if anyone's never read this trippy book called Psychomagic by Alejandro Jodorowsky, who I know he's like a filmmaker that also makes trippy films yeah. and like just came out with a new one. I didn't really care for the one that I watched. Mm. Uh, which is interesting because I love this book. Um and that kind of helped get me through thinking in a different way uh-huh. about not being busy. And so like me, Joey and Rachel and all these other friends have been actually trying to do these psychomagic acts that are like very poetic. Um, and the, the byline is using the subconscious to treat the subconscious. And it goes really crazy into like having artists prescribe in the way that like a psychoanalyst might prescribe something, but it'll be like, all right, if this person has trouble with money what are they really talking about and what could you get them to do in as an activity that would then in a roundabout way get them to subconsciously think about addressing the fear and like meet it head on yeah he's got like poetic acts he's got on the earth acts they're all like different types of things Uh that he recommends and that's alejandro Um, jodorowsky yeah uh the last one was, uh, if anyone else ever needs to get unstuck, I had a student once ask me for my unstuck list, uh-huh. and I, like, never gave it to him. For some reason, I was like, you will come up with your own list. But now I feel bad, and I feel like I should have, like, made it more public or something. But, uh, it's, it's, it started off as a list of ten things. I don't know if it's, like, better to oh, yeah. just put them up. Oh, yeah, here it is. Or I can, I can read it if you want. There's eleven. Oh, that'd be better, yeah. and then I've got... Cool. Uh... So you're also my personal stuck list is I'm really interested in these. Number one, get away from the internet away. Number two, take a little bit of pleasure and a little bit more. Number three, have you checked slash made your to-do list for today? See bottom. <laughs> oh, okay. No, uh, don't see the bottom. <laughs> Number four, suck it up and just clean up after yourself. That is awesome. Number five, some of your best work comes from wasting time artistically. Also awesome. Number six, make food for the next two days. Number seven, call a friend to hang out. Use it as an excuse to dress up. Number eight, go somewhere via your bike. Number nine, write a thank you, a note reminding a friend that it has come to your attention that a mutual forgetfulness about the friendship has occurred and can and needs to be corrected. Number 10, go 100% in the wrong direction, hit bottom, and then number eleven, caffeine. That's a great Thank list. Thank you. That sounds so. That sounds so much more fun to hear from someone else. Uh, yeah, yeah. I always feel like like I'm proselytizing. Yeah, it's great. And I'm like saying the thing. It's really great. Yeah, that's a really great list. Yeah. How about yourself? Um, the Reclaimed Audio Podcast, which is really cool. It's three people, um, who kind of upcycle and recycle materials and talk about the things that they make, uh, and all that. It's a really neat podcast. that's called Reclaimed Audio. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can find photos of our finished projects at our project site called projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have links in the show notes. We'll have a bunch, I think, in this episode that are going to be really good. Uh, and we'll be posting project and other related stuff to our Instagram account uh, as well. 
Uh, we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. We just sent some out. Um, all you have to do is share a podcast episode uh, with a friend and let us know that you did it, and we'll send you a sticker. Uh, Cedric, we also need to get you a sticker as well. Uh, yeah, our uh, logo is created by a really great artist called Wolf Mask. You can check out his work at wolfmaskart.co.uk. We'd like to give Nick Kantar and Adam Van Essen a shout-out as our top Patreon supporters. Thank you, Nick and Adam. You guys totally help us out with hosting costs and everything else. It's really great um, that you guys pitch in, uh, along with our other Patreon supporters as well. If you'd like to join them in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, please go to patreon.com slash thumbs to sponsor us. Um, our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Cedric, thank you for being our guest. Yeah. You have some stuff coming up that it would be great to share with people. Yeah, um, I'm most excited about uh, my partner Rachel is going to have basically her first big postgraduate school oh, solo show. Nice. And so on Saturday, March 17th, okay. at a place called Garden uh, from 7 to 10, that's in a, in a house. Okay. And it's 1345 Kelm Avenue in LA. It's going to be up through April. Awesome. A piece you mentioned, oh. I'm super excited, is finally going to have the opportunity to be shown. So on March 6th, between 6.30 and 8.30, okay. it's actually a two-person show that's part of a larger palindrome curated thing by uh, this guy named Matt Town. He's calling it Scroll. Okay. And there's like a video that's always either in conversation with, or it's, it's literally facing a painting. And I'm actually in the middle of the palindrome, so I'm going to show my film first on that Tuesday. And then the following Tuesday, there's going to be a painting of mine. And the other person that I've been paired up with is Lorena Espetia. Okay. Espetia? I don't know how to say her name. And we actually switch mediums. Oh, so cool. Someone doing a painting or a wall-based work. No, I think it is supposed to be a painting. Is then doing a video or curating a video. That's cool. Vice versa. Yeah. That's a cool idea. And uh, people, I would love if anyone thought of inviting me to other stuff like this podcast. You could see things I make on cedrictie.com. Uh, I haven't written as much as I'd like to, but I, I have a blog. I think it's like, oh my God, what is it? Cedric with two E's dot blogspot.com. Yeah, it is. Well, awesome. Cedric, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Like, It was really great to have you on. It's, it was really great to hear about your work and your project was amazing so, so i think taylor and i are sort of beside ourselves oh man cedric that was uh that was awesome that was like a a one-of-a-kind experience and we've done quite a few of these podcasts so excellent yeah. work yeah there, there could be no better year year anniversary episode that's true yeah happy to have celebrated with you both yeah amazing yeah How long have you been mid-making it at this point?
So yeah, I think well we the the company actually got started. We first started selling in uh, July of last year. Okay. Um, and then I was making ginger beer uh, myself and kind of doing the the groundwork and and trying to understand how the process worked about a year um, before that. Okay. So okay. yeah, yeah it's cool. on, it, go, going on to two years here. Wow, that's awesome. And um, I think one of the things that was is most um, foreign to me or I'm most curious about too is sort of how how the as I, I saw a, a, a bottle which looked like a kind of 12 ounce you know kind of regular beer bottle or a soda bottle and I was just curious about the the bottling process it's like I've drinking out of a bottle a, a million times you know um, mm-hmm. but it's sort of and I hate to say this but it, it it's maybe the, the right word for it it sort of productizes the this, what I assume is kind of a large vat of stuff, you know? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was curious about how, wh- what you learned or sort of how you had to approach like figuring out what bottling is and does and, and, you know, like you mentioned shelf life and that, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I mean, that was all a huge learning experience. Um, and I, I do, I put it in kegs as well. So that was then oh, kind cool. of like a whole different thing is right. figuring out like how, how keg systems work and like the most efficient ways of putting that in there. The thing, the thing I kind of determined is that, um, all kinds of, uh, food processing equipment is pretty much like custom made for the most part. Oh. There's companies that offer more ready-made solutions, but really those only work if, your numbers that you are producing, you know, both both the amount that you can produce on a regular basis and your economics work in order to buy those machines because they're they're really pretty expensive. Right. right. Um, so you you really have to know pretty exactly what kind of production you want to have um, on a weekly basis in order to get the equipment that's going to handle that economically right. for you and not either be too too big and then the the equipment sitting there idle not you know being valuable um or earning back against what it cost right or right. you can't produce enough of, of what you want right so that so that was a, like kind of like a whole economics and automation process which is kind of another interest of mine as well so that yeah. that was fun getting to learn a little bit about that and seeing what was out there and trying to figure out something that would work on both accounts um for the bottling i i was luckily able to find a bottler that was cheap enough for me to start um start with and then hopefully i can uh continue to scale up with that you know get get a, another one and have a second person working there or get one with two heads rather than just a single head right. on it right. um for the kegs however i'm not quite at the production level like i'm doing i'm selling like four or five kegs a week, uh-huh. um, which isn't enough to justify any kind of equipment. So that I'm doing largely by hand with equipment I made myself, um, which is an interesting process. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and I think it's not uncommon for small food production either. I was actually talking to another guy in town who um, we we have uh, commercial space in the same large building here in town, and he runs a salsa company. And he was showing me his equipment that he custom built all himself. Wow. Um, and he basically um, just kind of nerded out on this and found enough of the suppliers that that sort of make the parts for food equipment that he was able to figure out what he would need and sort of design this thing and kind of um, you know like an erector set kind of assemble these 
more common parts and to make something that would work for his product That's because so really cool. depending depending on what it is you know um like so hit for salsa i guess to can a food like that a low acid food you have to can it at a certain temperature okay um so you need equipment that can handle that temperature and then depending on how how viscous the liquids are you know different sort of pumps make sense and all, and all these kinds of variables factor into it that's so cool. Yeah, that's like a that feels like a whole giant documentary waiting to happen. Small scale food producer people and like the crazy equipment they have to build to do what they do. Yeah, it's that uh, I forget what that show is that's on uh, TV. That's like how it's made or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that show. But the th- the thing I kind of realized about it is like all the equipment that you're seeing there was pretty. It was probably like custom selected yeah. for whatever that product is. Yeah. Um, you know, and whatever kind of kind of bottle you want to choose uh you know there's these small differences in measurement and then that matters a lot when you're trying to get a a machine to do all the work for you it's not uh not as easy as kind of like a desktop printer (laughs) right 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 yeah and like the difference between making three hundred thousand atomic fireballs a day you know versus versus you know i made yeah uh, 144 jars of salsa today or something like that so that's cool so um you're am i right in thinking that that uh, transistor is available in in portland only is that right now yeah right now um just in portland we've got it at bars and restaurants primarily um i'm looking at moving into retail sales but um an interesting thing about our product is because it, it's still live culture that means it has this yeah. uh limited shelf life and has to stay refrigerated kind of like a kombucha would okay so it's interesting trying to find um you know as as we're offering this different product I also have to find customers who are um, interested in, in in learning about this product and dealing with it differently rather than just like bottles of warm soda that they yep. bought at Costco that then they can keep, you know, wherever. Yeah. This is, you know, this is something they have to have fridge space for and be aware of like how long it's been on the shelf and all that kind of thing. So Yeah, yeah. And it would be very weird to be like contextualized next to like fish oil or something like where their other refrigerated <laughs> bottles are or something, you know? So yeah, that seems, yeah. seems important. Portland's been good for that though, because uh, I mean, the kombucha market has been pretty pronounced here for yeah. a long time now. So yeah. when I, when I start to pitch it to a place that sells kombucha either on tap or in bottles, um, they, they kind of understand that they're like, right. Oh, okay. So I just think about this, like another food that is actually alive, you know, in this way, yeah. not, I don't think about it as kind of like a can of Coke. I think about it as like a bottle of kombucha. So right. Right. that, that kind of gets people on the right, on the right framework. I think. Yeah. Is it, I'm sure we have listeners in Portland. So I was curious if you, do you have places that they should go to, to, to buy a bottle? Uh, I think the Hollywood theater is a great place to send uh, people to because okay. everybody knows the Hollywood theater and they've got it on tap there. Oh, awesome. uh, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I also Papa G's, which is a vegan deli, um, in the Southeast. They've always got it in stock and it seems to be pretty well there. Awesome. That's cool. We'll definitely yeah. let people know. Well, thanks, man. I don't want to take up too much of your evening and thanks for sort of me impromptu just being like, Hey, I, I, it'd be really cool to feature what you do as like a kind of mini episode inside the episode. So. <laughs> yeah, totally cool. I, I'm always happy to nerd out about fermentation. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very interesting and yet satisfying. I think at the same time, because you end up with something that, that tastes very different because of help of our little bacteria and yeast friends. So. 